0: Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Solis Chukwu in Lagos, Nigeria and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show we look back at a fantastic Africa Cup of Nations with the host Cote d'Ivoire winning the tournament against all the odds. We ask which teams played the best football overall. We assess the use of the VAR at the tournament and we speak to Nigeria forward Terra Moffi on finishing runners-up.
1: It's football. You, It's not fair to you. You never get what you want, so you have to understand this.
0: That's coming up later, plus Stuart on Manchester United's improved form in the English Premier League. So the host Cote d'Ivoire are the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations champions, uh, coming from behind to beat Nigeria 2-1 in last Sunday's final in Abidjan. Uh, Following the triumph, the Elephants move up 10 places in the world rankings. They're now number 39 on the official FIFA rankings. Uh, Nigeria made an even bigger move, up 14 places to 28 in the world. Angola leapt up as well, 24 places. Uh, They're number 93 and the biggest mover of all. Among those other significant rises on the FIFA rankings, Mali are up to number 47 in the world, moving up four places. South Africa, who were semi-finalists, are number 58, climbing up eight places. Cape Verde, who impressed so many, also move up eight places to number 65 in the world. Equatorial Guinea gained nine spots, up to 79 in the world. And Namibia, who reached the knockout stage for the first time in their history, rose eight places to 107 in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Cote d'Ivoire's triumph in the final rounded off four weeks of superb entertainment with, uh, no doubt, the most incredible story in the tournament's history, as they look to be exiting the tournament with a crushing 4-0 home loss to Equatorial Guinea in their final group game, firing their French coach Jean-Louis Gasset, only to scrape through later that same day as the lowest-ranked of the best third-place teams. Uh, then dramatic late goals uh, against Senegal and Mali saw them progressing through to the the last four where they beat the drc and to add to the drama they went one nil down to nigeria in the final and once again turned it around and cancer survivor sebastian Haller got the winning goal there were incredible scenes of hundreds of thousands of orange clad fans flooding the roads in abidjan for the trophy parade on monday well, African football expert Solis Chuku joins me on the show this week from Lagos in Nigeria. Uh, Solis, what a story. What work from the interim coach,
2: Emersa Fai. Uh, what fans? You just couldn't have made it up, could you? I'll tell you what's funny, Steve. Usually when people say that, I'm always like, are you being serious right now? Because there really is no limit to human imagination when people say you can't write this script. But this AFCON, we genuinely saw situations where it would be difficult for anyone to possibly dream up. I mean, at the end of the day, we have have ivory coast winning the africa cup of nations after finishing third place in their group finishing as literally the worst third place team in the entire group stage from there to sacking their manager to trying to get another manager who you know every now the french chef were like no we're not giving him to you to putting ms5 who had never managed a senior game in his life to winning the afcon that is just the fairy tale story to end all fairy tale stories you really really could not imagine this outcome coming the way it did i mean coming to the tournament when you looked at the list of favorites you could say okay um personally i had egypt and you know, Ivory Coast has one of you know, two of the big favorites, even ahead of like Senegal and Morocco, which may come as a, as a surprise to some, but that was the way I was thinking about it going in. But when I imagined that those two teams were the favorites, I didn't think that it would play out you know, in the way that it did. You know, this is a huge, huge deal for Ivorian fans everywhere. We saw their celebrations. They were delirious with joy. And I think the nature of the triumph itself kind of plays into that because when you've essentially been left for dead to come back from that to such a high is just it's almost mind shattering so i can totally understand how overjoyed the ivy coast fans are congratulations to them and congratulations to them for hosting what was a tremendous tremendous Afcon.
0: Uh, No doubt it was. Absolutely superb tournament and uh, arguably the best ever. Um, So how's the mood there in Nigeria, Solis? Uh, Eight AFCON finals for the Super Eagles, but uh, three wins and
2: five defeats in the final. The truth is the mood in Nigeria is very mixed. I mean, going into the tournament, not a lot of people expected Nigeria to get as far as they did. I personally pegged my expectation at the last eight, the quarterfinals. That's really what I thought would be the limit of Nigeria's ambitions in the So for them to go and surpass that to the extent that they did, reaching the final, it has to count as a success on some level even though historically nigeria shouldn't be looking at second place as you know something to aspire to necessarily but based on the expectations coming into the tournament it is a huge success at the same time when you get to the final of the tournament when you get so close to it there's inevitable disappointment and i think some of that disappointment really is about um, the manner of the performance that nigeria gave in that final we we have a lot of people who really could not reconcile that performance with what had gone before And, you know, in that final, Nigeria really were just almost like sitting ducks. Um, William Trudeau scored with that great header, and it just seemed like there was no ambition whatsoever to build on that or to control the game. It was really about, you know, dropping deeper, dropping deeper. And that strategy against the host nation with the full stadium always seemed suicidal. So the outcome was very was very disappointing in terms of how it played out for most Nigeria fans.
0: Yeah, well, let's hear from Super Eagles forward Teram Moffi, who made a late substitute appearance in the semi-final against South Africa, converting his spot kick in the penalty shootout. He appeared, too, as a late sub in the final. And Moffi spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Akaleji.
1: On an individual level, I think um, it wasn't the best, but, yeah, I understand uh, my position in the team. So, yeah, I thank God for the opportunity and... Um, as a group, I think we should be proud of what we 've accomplished. Not a lot of people believed in us, so losing to the host nation is something we should be proud of, even if we know we wanted the gold medal and leave the trophy. But we should be proud of what we 've accomplished. You did say on an individual basis because you wanted to play and everyone felt like you should get a chance to play. Did you regret coming for the Afcon even though you were not part of the original squad? I wanted to play one hundred percent, but um It's football, You, it's not fair to you, you never get what you want, so you have to understand this. And do I regret coming to the AFCON? Um, I would say no, because um, it's my first AFCON, Um, I have to be grateful for the opportunity. Um, And I won a silver medal too, so it goes on my CV. I have something to show to my children and unborn um, family, so yeah. What are the positives Nigeria take away from this tournament? I mean, yeah, just um, the sheer ability to, ability to know that we are a group who look out for each other. Because I think throughout the competition, we all played for each other. We try to um, help each other out. And yeah, I think this, this should be one of the main focus in Nigeria as a team. I mean, you've talked about the positives to take away as a Nigerian. And then... You look. You look at this tournament. Everyone talks about oh Nigeria had the trophy right in front of them and they missed it. What do you think you guys should have done differently? Um, There's a lot of things we should have done differently. But I mean, tactically, I'm not the coach, so it's not my place to speak about this. But I feel like we 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 should have done a lot of things differently. Um, next AFCON 2025, attention will shift towards that I mean, the players will want to atone for this Because, I mean, Nigerians really, really want uh, a fourth title Yeah, um, I know Nigerians want the title We want the title as well So, yeah, we have to stay focused and see what we can achieve in Morocco
0: so that's Nigeria forward Terra Moffi speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. Uh, still with me is Solis Chuku in Lagos in Nigeria and Moffi saying the runners-up medal is something to be proud of.
2: Hmm. I'll tell you what, Steve. I think he has, he has a point there because he contextualised that statement. So speaking purely as a team, in terms of what they put into this tournament, I think the players can be very proud. Let's not forget that this is a team that came into the tournament playing one way and after the first game completely altered their outlook and their ethos to play a different way with a system that they had not used before and they progressed all the way to the final so I think that level of self-sacrifice that these players put into the tournament is something that's worth commending and something that when they look back on they can be proud because um, there wasn't a lot of work done on the training ground to perfect the approach but they took everything on board and they made it work just by sheer will so the players definitely should take pride in finishing in second place um, the feeling of course for fans will be different like I said Nigerians expect a lot more than second place going into the AFCON but he also talked about on an individual level and this is really one of the big criticisms that um, Nigeria coach Jose Pesero has suffered after the tournaments um, even during he was already apparent that the Nigeria team was playing a very physically intense style of play and Pesero's use of his larger squad was problematic all through the tournament i mean he already came into the tournament with a um a depleted squad he could have picked 27 but picked 25 and then there was like a there was a cater of four to five players who he seemed to have no faith in at all so it came to be that by the time we got to the final nigeria were completely out of gas and it reflected in the performance so He's right to say that on an individual level, it's not really what he had in mind coming in. I think Nigeria could have done a lot more to utilize the strengths of certain members of the squad. Terry Murphy being a good example to deputize for osimen who ran himself into the ground for the Nigeria cause. In um, in the Afcon,
0: yeah, sure. Some pluses and uh, some uh, disappointments uh, for Nigeria. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Uh, joined by Solis Chuku, African football expert in Lagos, in Nigeria, as we reflect on a thrilling Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, Solis, what's your assessment of the style of play at the tournament and the standard, and which teams played the best football?
2: I think there was a lot of praise for the standard of play at the Afcon, and I'm broadly in agreement. I think most teams set out to play really good football, except except Ghana. <laughs> they set out to play good football, and they broadly achieved those aims. So we saw a tournament that was very exciting, even though it um, the goals sort of dried up later in the tournament. You know, we had this extended run of matches where there was no goalless, there were no goalless draws for quite a long time a lot of teams came into the matches with a great deal of ambition. I think there are a couple of outliers, like I've already mentioned, Ghana. Um, But also uh, teams like Tanzania and Zambia were a little bit disappointing in terms of what they Put out on the pitch but aside from that we saw good football from a large um, from a large proportion of the teams that were at the Africa Cup of Nations um unfortunately for Senegal they didn't make it past round of 16 but um the analysis after the fact will look upon their title defense as a failure but in the group stage those three matches they actually for me played the best football tournament they were coherent They had right tackle ideas. They were comfortable in their own skin. But ultimately, I think the, there was a bit of complacency that crept into their play against um Coast, especially after scoring so early we saw some of that a little bit in the groups against cameroon and it caught up with them in the round of 16 so but they played good football morocco did as well although they struggled mightily with the humidity in the Coast, so they didn't always show it and um when they lost the connection of hakimi and ziek on the right it definitely showed. It affected their fluidity as a team. So um, a lot of teams played good football. South Africa were really, really interesting with their the way they married their approach of the sundown score with the more defensively responsible stylings of coach Hugo Bruce. That was a really good balance for them, and it took them to their first semi final in over two decades. Um, Cape Verde were one of the big big revelations of this tournament not 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 really in terms of how far they got because we've seen them get this far before um so it wasn't that wasn't the novelty, but just in terms of the football they played, it was so refreshing, so fearless they you know they came into every match looking to play on their own terms and literally every game they played was super exciting um i don't think that this afcon would have been as memorable without you know their performances against ghana against Mozambique, in that thriller against egypt so you know you have to say fantastic fantastic tournament f- um for cape Verde. mali as well who you know were on that team that were chipped up by the eventual winners ivory coast i i thought they had the most um interesting shape and approach to of all the teams that they have gone playing a diamond in midfield no real wingers but somehow they made it work and they were very interesting very enterprising and I, I think the really the only team that could have stopped them before a potential final was the team that did stop them which was ivory coast riding the wave of um destiny almost and you know the support of the crowd with everything going um going their way in this run. So yeah, it, that's just cracking the surface really. Like I said, so many good teams. Um Angola were fantastic as well, you know, with um their great midfield, you know, Gilberto and Sendala on the wings, just great great football all around at the Africa Cup of Nations.
0: Yes, Senegal, Mali, Angola, among those teams that played so well and that entertained us at the Nations Cup Finals in Côte d'Ivoire. Now, earlier this week, uh, CAF released the AFCON team of the tournament, asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Of course, there's always so many opinions, but uh, the 11 that uh, CAF came up with was in goal, uh, South Africa's Ronwen Williams, Uh, the four defenders, Nigerians Ola Aina and William Troost-Ekong, also there Gislan Konan of Côte d'Ivoire, d'Ivoire and Chancellor Mbemba of DR Congo uh, the three midfielders Teboho Mokwena of South Africa Jean-Michel Seri of Cote d'Ivoire and Frank Kessier also of Cote d'Ivoire and the strikers Yoan Wissa of DR Congo Adamola Lukman of Nigeria and Emilio Nsue of Equatorial Guinea so asking for your thoughts on this who else do you think should have been in the AFCON team of the tournament any notable names missing there or did a calf get it right go to our facebook page that's planet sport football africa and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero always great to hear from you who else do you think should have been in the afcon team of the tournament And uh, Solis, just as we wrap up this look at the Nations Cup final, so what do you think about the use of the VAR at the AFCON? Because it was praised by many, seemed to be efficient and with less controversy than what we see in the English
2: Premier League. Yes it did. Yes it did. Um look, VR is something that's a very polarizing subject for a lot of football fans. You either really like it or you do not. Um I, I see both sides of the arguments to be honest. But one thing that's worth remembering and that's something this AFCON really, you know, puts in front of everyone's mind is that it's at the end of the day it's a tool. Um, it's a tool for interpretation that you know, referees use to improve their decision-making. That's really all VR is and is supposed to be. And we saw that at the Africa Cup of Nations, the referees were very efficient with their use of VR. Checks happened really quickly. There was no pedantry time, you know, long winded checks trying to, almost seeming to look for what was wrong as opposed to just addressing the basic question. So uh, VR was really, really fantastic. And I think what set it apart at this AFCON, and really I think this is something that is a motif that you know, you can extend to international football as a whole. I think VR is generally more effective there because um there are less there are fewer relationships between officials so there's not so much of onus on people to protect their relationships with others so there's no egos to cater to we have situations in league football where the refereeing body is full of you know referees who are very friendly with one another who want to protect each other's egos don't want to make each other look bad and so you have a situation where um you know they don't really intervene as they should or when it's necessary but at afcon it seemed like all the referees were interested in was delivering quality officiating which in the best of worlds is what anyone wants and we saw that there were egos were set aside everybody was determined to make sure that vr worked as it should and that it worked promptly and really the speed with which some of these decisions were reached a lot of the time while watching on the screen you'd be like uh, why did this decision go this way and then you'd see a replay and then it would be perfectly apparent right but there were no you know there was no time spent drawing visible lines on the screen no time spent with multiple freeze frames so it really just seemed like this was a mind-opening experience for most people and it's a lesson that i think leagues can take whether it's something dismantling that culture of cronyism within refereeing bodies in european club football is something that can be done really quickly is a separate matter entirely but just purely in terms of the way it was used in Ivory Coast, i think it was a lesson not just for european club football But also for people who are opposed to VR on a fundamental level that, hey, this is not about taking the game away from you. This can actually make football better. This can improve decision making and it can be done in an efficient, quick manner.
0: Well, the VAR certainly worked her really well at the Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire. Thanks, Solis. That's a Solis Choukou in Lagos. So this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart, on the English Premier League and how the conversion rate for penalties has gone up this season. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. There's some Nations Cup blogs there. Uh, AFCON, the day of the underdog. How We can draw inspiration from the upsets at the tournament and also looking at how some of the upsets at the Nations Cup show that teamwork pays. That one's called Team Players Back Each Other and Find a Way to Win. You can find those on our website, planetsport.tv and you look for the blog section. Right before we talk English Premier League two other stories of note Zambia's Rachel Kundunanji has become the most expensive female footballer ever 23 year old Kundananji has moved to Bay FC in the American National Women's Soccer League for $860,000 moving from Madrid in Spain she eclipses the previous record which was $500,000 when Kira Walsh moved from Manchester City to Barcelona ladies in 2022 Uh, Kundunanji is the first African player, male or female, to break a world transfer record. She moved to the USA after 18 months with Madrid, where she scored 33 goals in 43 appearances. And a Bay FC recently also signed Asisato Shwala, the Nigerian who has a record six African Women's Footballer of the Year titles. And also the 2024 FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup is underway. It started in Dubai on Thursday, runs to the 25th of this month. There are 16 teams taking part, two African nations, that's Senegal, uh, the African champions and Egypt, who lost 2-1 to the host, the UAE, on the opening day. Uh, Senegal finished fourth at the last edition in 2021. That was Africa's best ever performance at the Beach Soccer World Cup. Right, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK, and uh, English Premier League, uh, top four, all winning last weekend, Stuart.
3: Yes, as you were at the top, uh, with Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal and Tottenham all winning. So that leaves Liverpool on top, two points ahead of Manchester City and Arsenal, and seven points ahead of Tottenham, but Manchester City still have that game in hand. The game which raised eyebrows was West Ham at home to Arsenal. Now, you may recall six weeks ago, just after Christmas, West Ham went to Arsenal and won, and people began to wonder whether Arsenal were going to fall away. Well, what a strange game last weekend. Half an hour gone, and it's West Ham nil, Arsenal nil. Next 15 minutes, Arsenal score four goals. Four nil up at time, and they added two more in the second half. It was such an impressive, overwhelming victory. Inevitably, Arsenal took the lead from a corner. we talked about this before, how many goals Arsenal are scoring from corners. And then another of the first half goals was a header from a free kick, more or less the same as a corner. Arsenal just have so many different corner or free kick routines and an ability to put the ball in awkward positions and attack it. West Ham weren't that bad. They were just overwhelmed by Arsenal's attacking football.
0: Yeah, very encouraging that for the Gunners fans. And uh, Manchester United uh, seem to be improving, Stuart.
3: Well, you remember, Steve, how Aston Villa started the season with ten unbeaten home league games? Well, the sequence has been broken since Villa have lost their last two home games to Newcastle and Manchester United. And, in fact, Villa have lost home and away to Manchester United... In just over a month. Remember at the end of the year, the game where Villa led 2-0 at Old Trafford at half-time, only to lose 3-2. But it's all turned around. And it was such a solid performance by Manu last weekend. It started with goalkeeper Andre Onana, who was very solid. The back four of Dalu, Maguire, Baran and Shaw combined well. Hoyland, who didn't score in his first 14 league games, now has 5-5. And And what about Scott McTominay? Told by United last summer he could leave if he wanted, he chose to stay. He's only had 12 league starts and 9 sub appearances, but he scored 7 goals in that time, and virtually all of them point-winning goals. On Sunday, he headed the winner in the 86th minute. And remember the game against Brentford, United losing going into stoppage time, only for McTominay to score two stoppage time goals for the win. And there was something else in that game that really pleased me. Rasmus Hoyland was substituted towards the end of the game, and he was wearing his jacket. He went onto the pitch and spotted a United fan in a wheelchair. He walked across, took off his jacket took off his match shirt and handed the match shirt to the little lad. A small gesture to make someone's day. Excellent player, even better human being. Tottenham beat Brighton 2-1 but had to come from behind with the winning goal not coming until the sixth minute of stoppage time. Now Steve, Tottenham's Korean son or son is well known but there were other sons involved in the winning goal last weekend. With Madison passing to Ricardison on to Son, before Johnson scored the goal. How about that? And in a contest of teams just above the relegation, Brentford won 2-0 at Wolves. And guess what? Ivan Tony scored again. Luton Town stayed just out of the relegation battle, but they lost to Sheffield United, and that was despite. United manager Chris Wilder's rant that all the 50-50 decisions are going against Sheffield United. And then there was Liverpool beating Burnley 3-1 with all four goals being headers. That, Steve, has not happened for nine years. And uh, going back to Arsenal, Bukayo Saka scored a penalty. And this means that of this season's 70 penalties, 90% have been scored. In previous years, the scoring rate has been between 71 and 84%. So Premier League players are getting better at scoring penalties. And this weekend, another full programme. Uh, two games to highlight on Saturday. Brentford against Liverpool in the lunchtime game and in the early evening game, Manchester City at home to Chelsea. Then on Sunday, Luton Town entertain Manchester United. And Monday Night Football, Everton against Crystal Palace, with both clubs struggling against relegation.
0: Well, looking forward to those games. Uh, very interesting there about the improved uh, penalty conversion rate. And a uh, Stuart, uh, UEFA Champions League,
3: uh, this week we saw the start of the knockout stage. Paris Saint-Germain beat Real Sociedad with Mbappé scoring, and uh, Hakimi, the Moroccan, was also a starter for PSG. Now Lazio of Italy beat Bayern Munich of Germany 1-0 and for Bayern, Harry Kane and all, this was a second defeat in four days leaving them five points behind Leverkusen in the German league and with it all to do in the second leg in the Champions League. Manchester City won 3-1 in Copenhagen and Real Madrid won 1-0 in Leipzig in Germany with Brahim Diaz, the Moroccan, scoring that goal. And next week it'll be Inter Milan against Atletico, PSV Eindhoven against Dortmund on Tuesday, Porto against Arsenal and Napoli against Barcelona on Wednesday. Yeah, and uh, mouth-watering encounters. Uh, What else we got for us, Stuart? Steve, one of the standout players for Manchester United uh, this year has been Kobe Menu. Uh, He got his debut for Manchester United in November, but has held his place since then, playing the next nine Premier League games and scoring. Just 18, but he looks at home. But he has a big decision to make now about international football because while he was born in Manchester, his parents are Ghanaian, and we understand that the Ghanaian Federation has already been in touch with him. And Ghana seem to be targeting Premier League players at the moment. They have successfully persuaded... Uh, Brighton's Tarek Lampe to play for them and there are two others on their radar Callum hudson Adoy and Eddie Nketiah. hudson Adoy is 23, spent six years at Chelsea but is now at Nottingham Forest. In 2019 he made three appearances for England but under new FIFA rules since his three appearances for England came before he was 21 he can still opt to play for Ghana. And Kethia is very similar. Uh like Hudson and Doy he made loads of appearances for England at eighteen, nineteen, twenty twenty one level. He has won full cap. He's made over a hundred appearances for Arsenal, but never managed quite to establish himself as a starter. It'll be interesting to see how this story develops.
0: Yes, Tarek Lamte switched allegiance from England to Ghana ahead of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Interesting to see if Nketiah and Hudson Odoi do decide to play for the Black Stars. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Solis Chuku in Nigeria, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.